So uh, everyone who's listening, uh, thank you for tuning in. I've got Natalie Beisner on. She's on Instagram as Natalie Jean Beisner, a former Democrat, and had a come-to-Jesus moment, I'm assuming, and yeah. uh, switched over to, to uh, conservative, uh, I, I would assume, Judeo-Christian values. What, what specifically brought you to that, that moment where you just said, you know what, Democrat is no longer what— it used to be, or being a Democrat is no longer what it used to be. I need to, I need to change. <laughs> well, um, looking back, hindsight being twenty twenty, um, I it, it happened in twenty twenty, but I think that God had been laying the groundwork for a couple of years prior to that. Um, I I was an actress for a long time, and I remember in 2017, 2018, that was the first time that I became aware of racial diversity above all things in Hollywood um, and not just in Hollywood, of course, it was the first time I heard phrases like white privilege and uh, that doesn't match my quote unquote lived experience to uh, quote the left. And um, it didn't sit right with me. And it was something that really did kind of stick out to me as this doesn't seem right or helpful or true for a lot of people. Um, but I kind of just shoved it down because I am, <laughs> I was an actress at the time. I was born and raised in Southern California. I still live in Los Angeles. So, and I was very uh, Democrat, very liberal. So it wasn't really something that I would have spoken about. Um, and it wasn't enough to make me walk away from the Democrat party, but it just, I felt like I wasn't being heard um, in that conversation, if that's what we want to call it. And then um, in 2020, I, uh, Obviously, a lot of things changed. You know, I, like so many people, um, I lost all of my work overnight. And um, I was at first okay with that. You know, I was very much, I was worried about money. Um, as, as a lot of people, uh, you know, need to work. I, I also need to work. But I wanted to do my part. I did my part. I stayed home. I didn't see family. Um, I had a grandmother who unfortunately passed away alone and isolated during this time. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, like so many people, I gave up a lot. And um, Los Angeles obviously had a very stringent, I mean, at the time, many people did, but a very stringent response to COVID. And a lot of the things um, didn't make sense to me as as the weeks, the two weeks turned into a month and then two months, you know, um, the arrows on the grocery store floors. And I wouldn't wear a mask outdoors and I would take these long walks um, around Los Angeles and, but I would, I would get way out of the way for people if I encountered anyone, which was sort of rare. I would get off the sidewalk or even cross the street just to be respectful because uh, wearing a mask outdoors, you know, it just, it didn't make sense to me, but I always wore one in the grocery store, which is really the only place I went. And people would get upset at me just seeing my bare face. I mean, from across the street, they would yell at me. Um, I saw the parks caution taped off and the jungle gym and, and that didn't make a whole lot of sense because it was out in the sun <laughs> in sunny California just a lot of things that, you know, I thought I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't seem like this is really a, a, a normal response. And so those questions started to happen um, for me, like with so many of us. And then summer 2020, um, when the Floyd protests happened, it was like, it, it was like the betrayal of 2017, 2018, feeling like my experience my lived experience didn't matter um that i don't identify with white privilege this this isn't you know my story or my parents story my family story it was like that on steroids it was <laughs> i mm. just i wanted and i needed to go back to work but all around me it was uh, no shame on you for wanting to do that 
but here you can go to these protests. And I totally support everyone's, you know, First Amendment right to peacefully protest. Obviously, we know that they were not all peaceful, including especially in Los Angeles. Um, and I watched the, you know, at one point we were in a curfew on top of a lockdown and the curfew was due to peaceful protests. You know, I watched these stores that had just barely been permitted to open these independent stores. I watched them have to board up again due to, again, quote unquote, peaceful protests. And I was floored to see, you know, even the medical community, <laughs> many of them uh, saying, don't shut down these protests. And again, I want you to be able to protest, but you're telling me I'm going to die of COVID. And you're telling me I'm selfish for wanting to go back to work or needing to go back to work or wanting to see my family, including, you know, dying family members. And that that blew my mind. It felt like such a betrayal. And it wasn't just a blip on the radar, you know, and obviously a lot of Republicans were doing the same at the time. I'm not going to pretend like it was clearly divided on party lines, but Democrats held on to this insane COVID response throughout, you know, and I, I unfortunately did see it coming and, and I was proven correct, you know, well after I walked away from the Democrat Party in 2020, uh, you know, we had vaccine passports in Los Angeles, you know, yeah. so it was not just a little blip on the radar of, oh, sorry, we lost our minds summer 2020. We were intensely hypocritical. Los Angeles dragged its feet in readjusting its response to COVID. You know, we were in an indoor mask mandate until uh, into 2023 or 2022, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So... I it just all along the way, I have been proven, you know, correct to walk away. They they did not. And it wasn't even just that we had different ideas of how to respond to COVID because I recognize I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, and some people are wiser, more educated. But it was this, everywhere I turned, it was a denial that I might have any honest reason for wanting a different response to COVID, that there's no way I could possibly genuinely just want to go to work, genuinely need to go to work. Uh, genuinely not be being helped by this response to COVID, in fact, being harmed by it, like so many, it was, no, you're just selfish, you're racist. And so that was what really struck out to me as a betrayal by the people that I had supported. I, I thought I was being a compassionate person, you know, supporting liberals, supporting Democrats. And I thought that they cared about the poor, the underdog, you know, and it, it turned out to me in 2020 that they didn't. Um, so I didn't become a conservative overnight. It was just sort of I once I got the shackles off my mind of the radical left, I was able to question a lot of things, you know, it was very humbling to see, okay, well, I was wrong about so much. Um, I thought Democrats were, you know, the compassionate people and Donald Trump and Republicans were uh, racists, among other things. <laughs> right. Um, and then I, my mind was really opened of, okay, well, if I was wrong about that, I might be wrong about other things. And it turned out as I became more aware and acceptable to other voices, you know, more conservative voices, I realized I agree with a lot of conservative positions. You know, I, I was really, really shocked to find how much common sense and logic there is on the conservative side of things. And it's, it's, it's a lot of emotion, a lot of lies, you know, obviously a lot of manipul media manipulation on the Democrat side of things. And it's not, you know, necessarily exclusively that way. Yeah. But no, there definitely. are a lot of lies. And I was shocked at how much I've been lied to. You know, I mean, I hated Donald Trump for four years. And I really did think, you know, I, I honestly thought he had said very fine people on both sides, not denouncing neo-Nazis. I mean, I believed all this stuff. And I'm ashamed to say it now because I've always been kind of a intelligent person and a critical thinker. But I just, it, it, that stopped when it came to politics. And I just was Democrat by default. I think a lot of people are, especially in my generation and in Southern California. And 
it was it really was just like betrayal after betrayal to realize how much I had been lied to how much a lot of us had that was sort of a long-winded answer to no you're fine yeah there's a lot to dissect there so so Mm -hmm. the first thing I'll say uh is well welcome um (laughs) to 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 the party you know there one of my friends is actually out in LA him uh he and his wife uh will um Will Roush and and uh, and and well, he pronounces it as, as Roush. So I guess I should pronounce it properly. But <laughs> Will, Will William and Sheila uh, Roush, and uh, they've been out there for quite some time. Sheila's doing very well. She has a a business where they do tattoos for eyebrows for celebrities. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the specific you know term would would be for that, but she's done very well. Uh, she's she's dealt with quite a few celebrities out there and and will is actually from pennsylvania uh, originally and he's a teacher and so he and i uh he was actually on a podcast i had a while back i think it was in 2021 maybe and uh we don't agree 100 percent ideologically from you know just policy perspectives mm-hmm. on certain things but critical thinking and common sense the, the main thing that that we both are in agreement on is that common sense seems to have kind of just gone out the window. And yes. unfortunately, um, you know, you can, you can be a critical thinker and not have common sense. And in order mm-hmm. to, to really come to some sort of, I think middle ground where you have a happy median based on regardless of where you align politically, you have to utilize both of those in order to, to do, you know, com- just just compromised uh beliefs sometimes you just have to compromise on certain certain you know ideologues and that's fine Um, but the thing is the thing that really bothered me i think you know per se with 2020 back in 2019 in november of 2019 i remember seeing little blips coming out of the media about SARS-CoV-2 uh and one of my very close friends he's also my primary care physician uh he basically you know was with me one day, we were watching this, you know, this coming out on the media together. We had a, a little get together and just a bunch of us were hanging out. And I, I asked him and I said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And at the time, he was just like, well, I think this is, you know, kind of similar to, to how SARS-CoV-1 was. It's just going to be like the flu. And I said, OK. And so March, I want to say it was March or April of the, the following year, I asked him, you know, the same question. I said, what are your thoughts now? And it was as if he had done a 180 and mm. literally everything was follow the science. We have to do this. We have to do that. I've got people dying left and right. And it was just like, like just pandemonium. And, and I really started to question what was actually happening because I had seen people that I contracted COVID and had been perfectly fine. I'd seen people locally that were asymptomatic and you never even knew that they had COVID. Uh, and I started, you know, kind of getting a little bit more plugged into uh, medical freedom advocacies, you know, mm-hmm. groups and things like that. And I met uh, Dr. Andrew Wakefield or Andy Wakefield. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. I don't um, think so. He's a, he, he was a, he he had his medical license stripped from him uh, in the oh. in the UK for doing a a study on the MMR vaccinations and found that there were there was a correlation on the autism spectrum as to the spike of autism directly oh. correlating with the MMR vaccines. Wrote wrote a, a, basically a dissertation on it, and all of a sudden 
there was there was an uptick of individuals of parents not having their children vaccinated in UK for a few years. And once the medical board found out about it, they stripped him of his license. He was fined um, for fraud, and just amongst many many other things. He's had to jump through a lot of, of a lot of hoops to get to where he is now. He's close friends with Robert uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, uh, yeah. But but speaking with him and getting more plugged in to other individuals that were informed and, and I'm not talking about just random people on the street. I'm talking epidemiologists, virologists, mm-hmm. everyone that I talked to could not make sense of things. It was as if we were trying to learn how to fly an airplane uh, while actually flying it. And so a lot of things that, that I was seeing promulgated from mainstream media were in direct opposition as to what was coming out from independent journalism and other countries reporting on, you know, what was coming out specifically on, you know, the COVID related deaths and the Mm -hmm. efficacy of vaccines. You know, back in uh, June of 2021, there was a a study that came out of Israel that uh, specifically was talking about the Pfizer vaccine and declined 10% from June to July. Mm -hmm. Well, I ended up contracting, COVID during the Delta variant in August of 2021, and this is what really got me on onto this whole kick with the the media just blasting us with just fake news. I I I I, I don't have any other way to say that. I mean, just I know that sounds like you know the, the typical stereotype of a conservative. They always you know problem no, with fake news. True though, but <laughs> I, I I ended up getting a severe case of it my my entire family got oh, in wow. they, and they were fine they they were fine the wife had flu-like symptoms for a few days but for me it was a temperature of 102 to 103 degrees for about eight days oh. straight severe oh. dehydration couldn't breathe had sharp pain in my sternum when i did try to breathe and you know on day five tested positive and day six i i called up my my primary care physician and, and i was like hey man this is getting worse. And he was like, well, it sounds like you're getting COVID related pneumonia. You probably need to get put on oxygen. And I told him, I said, I'm not, I'm not doing that because all of the data supports that if you get put on oxygen, it doesn't end well. And so he was just like, Hey, I'm on a vacation right now. Just go across the street from the, from the office. And I asked him, I said, what's across the street from the office? And he was like, Oh, it's a place called infusion solutions. And I was like, well, what is it? And he was like, Oh, it's uh, it's monoclonal antibody treatment. And I, mm-hmm. and I asked him, I said, why didn't you tell me about this, you know, two days ago when I was in the office? And he was like, well, not all of my, my colleagues, you know, know about it. And I said, well, you're in the same network. That doesn't make sense to me why you would know about this and, and you know, not tell all of your colleagues to, you know, basically let their patients know about this as well. Because it, if it works as, as far as a the treatment, then this is obviously something that can prevent hospitalization and then death. And so I went in, uh, it was through Regeneron, so the same company that, you know, Trump used when he he contracted COVID. And uh, day number seven, they didn't have any availability for me, so I had to come back the very next day, which was grueling. And came back the next day, went in and got uh, intravenously, so just IV drip of the monoclonal antibody treatment. And I noticed something that was very strange. It struck me as very odd. The nurses there we're not wearing masks. Many of them were just, just walking around without masks. And I was like, this is, this is really something's odd. It's just off. I'm not used to seeing this. And so, uh, an hour went by the drip was depleted and they switched me over to, to, you know, to saline just to hydrate me. And this individual walks by and he tucks his head in the door and asks how I'm doing. And he's wearing loafers, slacks, button up shirt, a tie, and so I'm assuming, you know, obviously he's, you know, like a lead physician or something along those lines. And, and uh, I told him how I was feeling, of course, was terrible. 
And uh, he said, Mr. Clifford, you'll be fine in, in 24 to 48 hours. And so the first mm -hmm. thing that popped up in my mind was skepticism, partially due to ignorance, but also because I question things. I want to learn. And so I said, well, what, what, what is the actual efficacy of this? He was like, if you catch this, if you are around someone that has COVID or if you've contracted it within 10 days, we have about an 86% efficacy. And I was like, well, that's significantly higher than, than Pfizer. Currently, Pfizer was at like 68% efficacy. And uh, oh, I was like, you know, side effects. He was like, no known side effects that we're aware of. And obviously that makes sense because we didn't have any long-term studies on it yet. Uh, so I said to myself, well, obviously there's some sort of issue with either surplus or distribution, and that's why we're not talking about it. And I, and I asked him point blank. I said, do you have a problem with, with distribution? He was like, nope, it's readily available, easily distributed. He was like, our, our local Times Dispatch, Richmond Times Dispatch, came out here to do an article on us, and they never printed it two weeks ago. And I was like, well, that's wow. – that's, something's wrong with that. And I said, you know, why? And he, he literally air quoted me and steps back and he says, I think this is monetary. And I said, you know, oh. at that point, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is rabbit hole conspiracy stuff. And, you know, I can't, I can't go out there and tell individuals that, you know, this is a monetary issue, but, but that's egregious if it is. And so I, you know, I told him, I said, I said, you know, this doesn't make make sense. And he was like, well, here's the deal. If, you come here and you get the monoclonal antibody treatment today and you don't have insurance. It's $500 out of pocket. That's it. Or it's 500 if you don't have insurance. If you have it, mm -hmm. uh, insurance, it's whatever your out-of-pocket deductible is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's, it's cheap. It's, he was like, yeah, it's extremely, extremely cost-effective. And I said, well, then it would make sense as to why these larger pharmaceutical companies, you know, Novavax and Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson and so forth were promulgating this because that was significantly more and also it was government funded. And, and this to me was just insane. So I went home that yes. night just trying to contemplate and process what I was told, you know, and, and the more I thought about it and the more I was looking up data that was coming out, I was just like, this is not, something's not right. Well, the very next day, within 24 hours, fever was gone. I was literally – it was as if nothing had ever, ever happened other than being lethargic from just being you know, beaten up yeah. for eight days essentially with a high fever. And I went out and mowed my lawn, and I said, you know what? I need to tell people about this, and yeah. I want people to know what's going on and where to go if they need treatment and effective treatment. And I was like – this is this this needs to get out on social media. So I posted a video on Facebook. Within 12 hours, it was pulled, and I got oh a notification gosh. from Facebook saying that I was spreading false information. So I said, you know what? I'll do it on Instagram. Well, of course, Instagram's owned by Facebook. Same exact thing. Posted it. It was it was pulled saying I was spreading false information. I'm at, I'm currently restricted right now, actually, on on Instagram from posting false information because i went into target and recorded a section of target that's promulgating the lgbtq transgender ideology you know and and tuck friendly suits to these little children that's something we'll go into a moment but the fact that these videos were pulled within 12 yeah. hours and then i was flagged for for false information and then the final the final nail in the coffin my main facebook profile of 15 years and they deleted the entire profile gone everything tied to it my business account all of the friends or acquaintances that i had allotted over the years gone just completely wow. gone and at that point in time i was like this is this is this is real this is this is actually happening and i'm 
I am a product of what is occurring where everyone else is saying that they're being censored in silence. I'm actually a product of that now. Yeah. I'm, I'm in that, that, that actual statistic. And at that point I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get the word out to as many people as I possibly can at, you know, whatever cost that may be. Uh, but I don't have to worry about my job because I, I own my own business. I wasn't worried about, you know, any kind of, you know, negative, you know, kickback from that. And I was just like, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. And I'm going to be completely transparent about it. And I'm not going to worry about, you know, being shut down or censored or shadow banned. I'm just going to continue to just promulgate what's happened and, you know, let the world know what's going on. And, and from there, it has just stemmed out. It started a group called Virginia United. We grew to like mm -hmm. 3,500 members that we got shut down. And we got restricted when we got, you know, reestablished and, and, and we're restricted again and just constant barriers and hoops to just constantly go through. And, you know, at that point, I was just like, I'm just going to do the podcast. I'm going to do, you know, social media. I'm going to try mm -hmm. to do as much as I can. And, and from there, it's just stemmed out. And, and the more that I've gotten into the environment with, you know, the podcast and being able to uh, have, you know, delegates and state senators and social media influencers on the more information I'm able to, you know, put out there for others to, you know, first and foremost, to, to inform them as to what's happening and what's going mm -hmm. on. Because honestly, what you said, as far as, you know, the, the media is concerned, you know, living in pre pre 20, you know, 2020, essentially, we were living relatively comfortable. And I think because of that, many people were complacent. And I think what happened in 2020, when children started having to school at home, parents saw what was actually being promulgated in the schools. And mm -hmm. we started seeing, well, this is not curriculum based. What, 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 are, what are our children being taught? And parents have jumped, and this is going to segue into what I was saying with, with, with Target. But, you know, basically, the, the children have been, I don't want to use the word groomed, but, but there have been narratives being constantly promulgated to these young, malleable, you know, children. And we're seeing the direct results of that now from, you know, even five years to 10 years ago. I mean, we're oh, seeing yeah. a complete wave, this generation where we're seeing teen suicide being raised, which we knew, mm -hmm. you know, in 2020 during lockdowns, we were going to see higher exactly. rates of You know, suicide. that's something too, yeah, that you and I knew that. I think anyone would know that. And, and it just, it really seemed like we just decided we were going to do this. And there was no thought to mental health or emotional well-being from the very side that claims to care so much about mental health, you know, um, especially for young children. And it, anyone could have seen this coming from a mile away without any expertise whatsoever. And that's just something that breaks my heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, the big problem here is, is that many parents and, and not just parents, but, but people in general have, again, because of the complacency, I think what's happened is they've been conditioned. Uh, and, and, you know, again, not to sound conspiracy theorist, but, you know, it's like, it's as if for an analogy, you know, if I'm me personally around someone who, uh, their vernacular might consist of more, you know, cuss words, you know, foul language. I'm probably going to slip here and there, and that's going to filter into my conversation as well. And mm -hmm. I think what's happened is people have gotten so accustomed to what they see on television that mm -hmm. they just take it as is. And it's like, you know, coming from the word of God. And, and that yeah. is very dangerous. And the media outlets are, are, are aware of this. I mean, we've, we've seen, I'm sure you've probably heard of, uh, 
it was Tristan Harris did a documentary on on Netflix called Social Dilemma. Mm-hmm. And it was specifically speaking about how the algorithms and Instagram were causing young teen girls to have, you know, depression and anxiety yeah. based on these feeds that they were seeing. And what what, you know, social media has done from a from a long term perspective, it was supposed to bring people together. But actually what it's done is actually created societal segregation, because what yeah. we're seeing is these avatars of people and not their real lives. And it mm-hmm. creates anxiety and it creates depression and, and it's, you know, unfortunately creating a epidemic in young, you know, children and it's dangerous and you have to be very careful now, specifically as a parent these days to yes. really make sure that you are monitoring what is actually, you know, coming into your home and specifically into your children's minds. And, uh, you know, it's scary with everything that's happening in the public school system specifically. I had a, a friend that um, he was in San Jose and, you know, just outside of, out of San Francisco and moved to to Crozet, Virginia, so just outside of Charlottesville. Had a 11-year-old girl come home one day, his daughter, and this is a well-to-do family, Christian family, very, very strong, you know, just faith-based family, uh, and, and, and not disparaged, not a broken home. And she comes home one day and tells her, her parents that she's non-binary, and, mm. and then she's pan- pansexual. Well, come to find out that this, this, the father of this girl, he, he also is a computer programmer, and he designs logistic boards for, for uh, Google and things like that. He hacked into his daughter's uh, school laptop and found out during homeroom there was a teacher that was, that was advocating for what's called GSA, which I think is the um, – I think it's a gay sexual sexualized alliance or something. I think. Like well, that. I thought it was gay straight alliance, but it it, it, it might. I've, I've it seen, could be many things. They're I've all those seen, acronyms now. <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen multiple acronyms of it exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so she was being being told by this teacher, and this teacher was sending emails out to around thirty different students in this just homeroom that they could, you know, they it was a safe space for them, and they could come out, and they were. You know, they didn't have to tell their parents anything. It was all going to be kept, you know, in in house essentially. And so, you know, what you're doing then is you're teaching your children to distrust, create distrust with, with your parents first mm-hmm. and foremost, and that breaks down the nuclear family standard. But the teachers are taking the role of parent to, in mm-hmm. some aspect, and you're losing your, you're literally losing the rights of your children. And oh, you're yeah. seeing more and more of that in the public school systems now that they're promulgating yes. this, this, you know, trans ideology. Because, you know, when we were growing up, you and I, in the 90s and 80s, we had an LG, uh, well, let's say, I guess it was just LGB uh, community at one point, And then it, it yeah. continually grew. But, but less, yeah. you know, it was lesbian, gay, bisexual. But then all of a sudden, this QIA came in. And this is where the, the ideologues started coming in for gender, um, you know, gender ideology. And mm-hmm. that transitioned everything. And, and now through what's called ESG, which is environmental social yeah. governance, you have these corporations that are incentivized to have diversity and equity hires. And many of these individuals are promulgating this kind of stuff mm-hmm. because they get funded to do so. Not even if it's their base, they don't care. I mean, you've seen that happen now with Target. That's that's mm-hmm. why my Instagram account is, is currently restricted and Budweiser. Just for showing what's in Target. I find that funny that you're spreading misinformation by taking a video. Oh, it's insane. It's insane. In Target. Yeah. It's insane. So, so we, we're seeing this, you know, right in front of our faces and many people mm-hmm. are either 
either too scared to say anything or they're too detached from reality. We have lost in, in America, we have lost truth. And, yes. and regardless of what people think, whether or not they're religious or not, the Bible contains truth. It's based yes. in truth. It's based in reality. And, and believe in God or not, but just laying down even Ten Commandments, I mean, that is just mm-hmm. the basic fundamental truth of how we have gone about in society through history and culturally. And so what you're seeing is that these organizations are trying to strip that from people. They're trying to strip yeah. faith from culture. You know, the LGBTQIA plus minus hashtag, you know, simper, whatever sign, <laughs> all of these different things, Helga sign, all of this stuff is becoming a religion and they're trying to strip, mm-hmm. they're trying to strip reality, which was Judeo-Christian values, which was country was found yes. originally from, from yeah. this country. Well, you break down the nuclear family and if you take truth away from a culture, then what, what happens? Everything happens. Anything mm-hmm. goes. Without truth, anything goes. Exactly. Yeah. So you want to hypersexualize children in the schools. If you're hypersexualizing children, then what you're doing is you're creating a sense of, of of normalcy where you are it's as if like, you know, as a kid you watched a scary movie and you used to get scared when you watched a scary movie. But if you watch multiple scary movies, eventually you I'm become yeah. exactly desensitized. Well, what is the point of all that? Is there is there a reason for all that? I don't know. It could be Jeffrey Epstein's files, and maybe politicians want to do this because they don't want to be held accountable for being perverts. Who knows? But the but the fact or the bottom line is is that there's a movement that is going on within our country that is destroying the nuclear family standard and stripping America and stripping our culture from truth. And oh, yeah. we've lost our sanity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it goes back a lot, and I'm sure you would probably agree. And uh, it goes back a lot farther than even you know what we had growing up in the '90s. I think feminism, the sexual revolution, birth control—I mm-hmm. mean, all of it—and and then it, when you start talking about it, it's like, well, we're not going to turn back the clock on that, so it feels overwhelming. But I think, I think for a long time, women have been behaving like men. Um, we've been denying and manipulating and controlling our biology in order to be exactly like men. Uh, there's been lies about being able to have sexual relations the same way men want to, not necessarily the same way men should. And uh, so I think the natural outcome of, you know, women acting like men, and I love my gay brothers and sisters. It was one of the first things that I voted for was gay marriage. But I, I do now 10 years later have this and becoming a Christian, I have this I think we have to have an honest conversation about, well, when you say that two dads to a child are just as, however loving they may be, are just as good as a mom and a dad. Well, for decades now, we have been basically implicitly and explicitly saying that men and women are interchangeable and there really is no complementarianism. So the natural outgrowth of that is where we are today, which is, yeah, a man can become a woman and no one knows what a woman is because really what is a woman? I mean, biologically, some of us know, sadly, not all of us, but women don't have any type of distinct role in society anymore. Um, And it is very much this idea that you're just tossed into, you know, a meat suit to be crude. And and we have the same soul, the same spirit, male and female, and and none of it is is true. So I think it's been going on for a very, very long time. And it's all tied together. And we're seeing, you know, unfortunately, the natural outgrowth. And and you're right of turning away from God, this, this whole thing about subjective truth versus objective truth. That's one of the things. And in questioning everything and walking away from the Democrat party and in talking to people online, you know, um, most of whom are trolls, but 
there, there is no objective truth on that side. And, and that is chaos because if it's your truth and my truth, well then whose truth wins, you know, whose lived experience wins, who has, I guess just whoever has the power has the truth, you know, there is no truth, but power. And I, I guess that's the chaos that they want there. Um, and we're certainly seeing that. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's where I think also common sense steps in. I mean, like the guy or not, Matt Walsh, his documentary, (laughs) what is a woman? It's hilarious. He's, he's tough. He's a tough pill to swallow Mm -hmm. at times and, and, and very crude at, at times as well when it comes to, you know, how you want to proceed in, in absorbing what he has to say. But Every single time that I've, I, in in my personal experience as well, that I've had any kind of debate on any of this I- ideology, when you get to the truth, it always ends up being a a, a scenario of, of finger pointing and name calling and a default to mm-hmm. you know you're a bigot or you're a racist or you're yeah. homophobe or xenophobe or whatever it may be, and to me that is very telling because it's just as if okay, you're locked down on this ideology and you don't have actual proof or actual right. truth behind it. And when you're faced with that reality, all of a sudden your reality is now got a kink in its in its armor and mm-hmm. you're starting to see flaws. So the default is just to shut shut down and call me a racist and that's it. And that's become the default. Yes. And it's yes. it's very sad that we can't have that amicable conversation that we used to be able to have. I mean, even in the nineties and early two thousands, if I was, you know, a, a, in opposition with a, a friend or a relative or even a stranger based on, you know, political ideologues or even, even religious, you know, beliefs or whatever it may be, we could at least sit down and have a conversation about it and yes. inform. It was very informative. We could inform each other based on certain things. There were plenty of things that I was and still to this day am ignorant on. And, you know, it doesn't seem to be happening. We're so polarized now that we've become almost tribalized. Oh, yeah. And I do. I mean, I certainly there's things to point to on both sides and neither is perfect. But I do believe more and more that the radical left is is a cult. And I, I genuinely think most of the people think that they are doing the right thing that they do have compassion for quote unquote trans kids and that kind of thing um and it, it you don't question it and you don't have to question it because everything supports you hollywood every major institution corporate media and so these people don't really ever have to question their points of view i didn't have to until i really really suffered in 2020 um and if you never have to question your point of view and you never actually know what the other side is saying well then you can't actually debate your you can't actually um defend your point of view because you don't know what the other side is saying and you've never had to question yourself and i do think a lot of that is what's going on and it's hard to be informed about what is true and what's not true unfortunately you feel like you have to be an investigative journalist yourself just to find out what the actual facts are on things And a lot of people don't have time for that, you know, not that it's an excuse because I think these are critical times, but I think our society is built in such a way that, yeah, it's really easy to be complacent until it smacks you in the face. And unfortunately, this transgender issue, I think it is one of the issues where there really is no middle ground. You know, we can come to a middle ground on like tax breaks or something, but this issue of cutting off healthy body parts of children, you know, uh, I, I don't know what a middle ground on that would be. So it really is interesting critical times yeah i mean that's that's where it's become extremely polarized too i i was in target literally last week 
visiting a friend who's a manager at my, the local Target that I'm at, and, and I specifically pointed out because we walked over to the section uh, in which they have the the entire you know trans section for right right by the kids you know clothing and of course children's clothing toddler clothing all of that's in there as well and I asked him I said how do you feel about this and he said well I don't know what's the big deal and I said well what do you mean what's the big deal and he said well we've been doing this for you know over a decade now mm -hmm. and I said I said really and he was like yeah he's like the only thing that changed this year is that we implemented you know toddler clothing and children's clothing exactly and I said yeah. I said that is exactly the point yes and I said, you know, mm -hmm. prior to that, I was like, look, I've got, I've, I, I know and have friends and family members that are part of the LGBT uh, community or LGBT community, but, mm -hmm. but here's the thing, I, I am not going to sit here and make them believe or do what I believe and do. That's not, it's not my purpose. My purpose is, is to basically sit here and say, okay, um, maybe I agree with it, maybe I don't agree with it. You live your life, and I'm going to continue to love you, period. Versus what's happening now is we're having children being told and parents being told if you don't affirm your children and if you don't you know, push and promulgate for this, then you are a bad person. Oh, yeah. There's You're a bill going through the California State Senate right now that would allow CPS to take yeah. your child. Exactly. If, among other things, but if you don't affirm their gender and looking at the rest of your parenting, and right. it's past House of Representatives. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it's 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 terrifying, and and this is you know, and I told him I said, look, this is about the children more than it is about mm -hmm. anything else. You know, the the fact that we're seeing companies take a hit with to their bottom line, like Budweiser losing you know twenty billion and Target losing twelve yeah. billion in in their market cap. This is not about us disagreeing with the, the corporate media or whatever it may be. It's about the kids. It's about the, 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 the push to shove this down the children's throats. And I told him, I said, yes. do you remember the, I think it was called the, uh, the, the, uh, it was the gay choir. The, there's a, yeah, um, we're coming for your, the San Francisco game. Yeah. The choir, San Francisco. Exactly. Yeah. And I said, do you remember that video when it came out years ago? And, and, and he was just like, no. And I was like, well, I do. And many people thought it was a joke. Many people thought it was just funny. They were just being silly or they were just, you know, saying this and, and, and everyone just kind of brushed it off, but they were serious. And I was like, this was, this was not just a, a parody. This was, this was someone who had intention behind what they were saying mm -hmm. and said, this is what we want to do to your kids. And it was brushed off. And now we're seeing the fruits of that. And well, look at Biden just said the other day, there are kids, there are yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with a gentleman earlier today about that. And, and he said, you know, I don't understand why anyone would want to raise children in today's world. And I said, look, mm -hmm. I said, I said, I understand where you're coming from, from, from that perspective, but also I, I believe that we're, you know, we're at a 50 year low in, in sustainability for population. I, I want to do my part and impartial to just me being, you know, just joking around with the guy, but in banter, but, but I said, you know, if everyone thought that all of the younger kids that, that are actually thinking that as well, if we all did that, then where are we going to be in, in the next exactly. hundred years? Yeah. And I used to like, think oh. that way and you're, you're totally right. And I've since changed. Yeah. I, and I also think, you know, sometimes I try to check myself of, is it really harder times now or are we just more connected and we're hyper aware of everything in this nation and also everything globally? You know, if someone was born in uh, the early 1900s, you lived through two. 
we had it harder. We just certainly had a face off having kids. I think that's the it's great to be on social media and make videos and get the likes and the attention. That's cool. But raising the next generation is the truest form of fighting back. And if we don't do that because we're disillusioned and we give up, then what? They they win, I guess. You know, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. That's your spot on about that. I, I, th- I think that's that's imperative. And, 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 and in, you know, in closing with the conversation that I had with him, I said, look, he's, I said, you know, because he, he said he was like, you know, who owns your children? And I said, well, if you're sending your children to public schools, I was like, essentially the government. And I was like, but, but this is why I homeschool. I homeschool my children because I am able to teach them the core values that we believe in our family. But I'm also able to do, equip them for what they will confront and eventually be exposed to in yes. the future. And, and that's important. And I said, you know, if you have the resources or the availability of the option to homeschool your children, even over charter school and, and even private schools, I was like, homeschooling is – yeah, your, your best bet for children, if you can do it, if you can do it. And, and to all mm-hmm. the parents that can't do it, then the best thing to do is to be accountable. You have to be accountable for your children yeah. as well as yourself, because that's what happened in the first place where where parents were so complacent because they were comfortable. They trusted the school systems. They trusted the teachers. They trusted what their children were learning. Once they found out what their children actually were learning is when all of a sudden this light switch just came on and people started to wake up. And now what we're seeing, again, is a direct result of the lack of accountability as parents from from, yes. from a generational perspective. And this thing about sending your kids off for eight plus hours with after, after school activities, that is a relatively new phenomenon in, in human history, you know, what, mm-hmm. like post-industrial revolution. So in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's kind of an experiment. And I, I think it's mostly failed for the most part, you know, kids spent time at home and they, and they worked and they learned practical skills and their family had a huge influence on them. And now it's like, your teacher sees the kid more than your you do. So God bless you for homeschooling. I think that's great. Yeah, and, and honestly, in in retrospect, it's not as difficult as many might think. Uh, mm-hmm. We we have friends that have literally five and one on the way, and we've got friends uh, that have you know families of three and four. And to homeschool, at least for us, it's it's maybe an hour and a half a day, and and everything is curriculum based, and the kids tested literally. Like they tested out of of locally where we're at, they were like in the in the top like like ten percent. So essentially, wow. they were they were doing better than the public school system kids. And to me, it's just there's peace of mind behind that. You know, yeah. from from a a parenting perspective, we don't have to worry about again what is essentially being promulgated to our to our children and yeah at the end of the day and we, isn't that we amazing an hour and a half a day that's i mean and we're always arguing oh should we make the school day shorter should we do less homework should we do this and look at you doing it yeah. in an hour and a half and yeah. the government takes eight nine hours you I mean, know, we, six amazing. months literally six months in and we had a kindergartner reading and you know th- maybe wow. that's maybe that's uh, behind i i don't i don't think it is but you know especially now but but you know we have we set standards and there's yeah. there's regiment there's structure within the family and we're like okay these are the goals and we will we're not going to be militant about it but we are mm-hmm. going to you know be 
accountable. We're going to be present and we're going to make sure that our children are, you know, being taught properly and learning what they actually need to learn in order to, yeah. to grow and, and, and do well. And, and that's what yeah. any parent wants, I think, for their children is to, to, to do well in their life um, as they grow and to be able to progress. And I don't see that happening with the public schools right now. I, I really don't. I, I think that there are many things that we are missing the mark on. And I think a lot of that happened when we took God out of the schools and we took God out of the yeah. Pledge of Allegiance. And, you know, but but again, we're taking away from truth and without truth, mm-hmm. you can't have a, a reality. No, now everyone has their own reality. Exactly. So, and they're all bumping up against each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Natalie, if there's anything else that you want to potentially close on, or if you want, if there's anything coming up that you want to tell people about, feel free to do so. And then, you know, from there, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Um, I guess the only, you know, it was sort of a good and bad, positive and negative, but I, I ultimately, I just would want to share that I, I do have hope. I think We've had a lot of wins recently, you know, with Bud Light and Target. I've never participated in a boycott before, and I'm <laughs> proudly boycotting both. And, um, you know, I think I was reading about a Gallup poll that came out where uh, almost 70% of Americans oppose transgender, quote unquote, women competing against women in sports, uh, which is up from 2021. So I do think a lot of, you know, last we spoke about uh, briefly, um, the protests last night, a peaceful protest prayer outside of Dodger Stadium. So, and that was in Los Angeles in the belly of the beast, you know. So, mm. I really do think that the tides are turning. I think it's still very critical times, you know. I think things might get more challenging before they ever get better, but ultimately I have hope and it's important to just keep speaking truth like like we started off on. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we we it's imperative to also remember that we might win a battle, but that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that we're going to win a war. It doesn't matter how many battles won. You know, the war is what counts. And right now we're, we're in a spiritual war. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Natalie, I appreciate you coming on very much. And, and again, um, you know, if, if there's anything you want to say as far as in closing, uh, if you want to direct people towards your social media um, sites, then you're more than welcome to do so. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Rumble, YouTube, and Truth Social um, under Natalie Beisner or Natalie Jean Beisner, B-E-I-S-N-E-R. Um, I'm posting on Instagram and Twitter, especially uh, basically every day. So a lot of short videos on, on how to <laughs> beat the left with logic and truth and common sense. So if that's your thing, excellent. Uh, you yeah, my, find me there. My, my wife loves you. That's, that's how oh, I found you. So yeah, you. <laughs> that's how I found you. She was pretty excited that I was, you know, you were coming on. So oh, that's I really will, um, in the links, I'll put your information for your social media um, outlets. And then uh, I, again, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Matt. You too. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.